0: Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Down the years, you may have seen me on the telly or heard me on the wireless, but this is different. This is the Brian Taylor podcast, brought to you by The Herald. I'm speaking to the party leaders, challenging them on their policies, their strategies. You'll laugh, you'll cry,
1: you may even vote. Scotland's recovery should be in Scotland's
0: hands. Our focus is on Scotland. So the nationalist focus on separation... We're going to be asking people in Scotland to vote like our future depends on it because it really does. Independence would be like Brexit on a rocket to Mars. Everything that ALBA does in this election will be a positive contribution to building that independence from the majority.
1: We can choose to focus on what unites us
0: as a country, not what divides us. Today, my podcast guest is Keith Brown, the deputy leader of the Scottish National Party. I ask him about the economy, independence and borders. For the latest in our Herald podcasts, I'm delighted to be joined by the deputy leader of the Scottish National Party, Keith Brown. Mr. Brown, I'll start with you as I have with everyone else. What is your plan to help Scotland's economy recover from the pandemic?
1: Well, first of all, to make sure that we maintain and, where possible, increase the support we provided to different sectors of the economy throughout the pandemic. Uh, There should be no withdrawal of government support uh, in the meantime. But over and above that, we've got a huge job to do to build our public services, to ensure that the NHS, for example, can uh, deal with the backlog of cases which have now arisen. But for the economy itself, we realise, of course, that the main powers in order to achieve this currently rest with the UK government. And that's why as well as the different plans that we have for the economic recovery, we want to have the full powers of an independent country to establish the levels of borrowing, the levels of support, the structural changes we have to make to our economy in order to make that a recovery which is not based, as it has been uh, on a UK policy of austerity for the last decade. It's got to be a real recovery. So you'll see things, for example, our commitments on broadband, our commitments on public services. These are things which are absolutely essential to recovery. How about the economic recovery?
0: Statistics that we face: the UK is in a huge deficit, and Scotland's deficit is considerably worse than that. According to the I- IFS, uh, uh, the 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 deficit is now eight times the limit set by the European Union for membership. is twenty between twenty two and twenty five percent of Scotland's gross domestic product in 2020 21 it's an enormous deficit how can we um, bolster the economy when you're starting from that sort of base
1: i think it's very important to make the obvious point is that the scottish government has no deficit it cannot have a deficit it's not allowed to have a deficit the uk has a deficit of around 330 billion pounds and it's not unusual as compared to other countries because they've gone through this pandemic what we have to do is make sure that the economy is um infused with the funds that needs to make sure that we can have the recovery. So, for example, 33 billion pounds of commitment to infrastructure works across the country. But the other points that I made before about public services are also very important because if you have that investment in public services, of course, that puts money in nurses' pockets, the 4% wage increase, and many of the other changes that we make in terms of providing IT to pupils, um, things to investing in hospitals, in 100,000 new homes over the next decade, All these things create jobs, create disposable income, and they, of course, help the economy.
0: But you're not trying to contest, presumably, that Scotland, Okay, it's a notional figure, but your own government statistics calculated every year through the jars exercise, and and it shows that Scotland's deficit is higher than for for the UK as a whole, well above the level for European Union membership. For example, a new report from the Institute of Government said that that the deficit was only over 7% of gross domestic product and that was in 2018-19 even before the pandemic struck that the the economy is not in a good set of circumstances in which to, to revive the the, 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 the the real economy more generally.
1: Well I am not downplaying the economic challenge that we face, but it's worth bearing in mind that the Scottish Government, as I've said, does not have a deficit. The one ascribed to Scotland also includes expenditure which we would not intend to have. So spending even more money on more nuclear weapons, warheads is not what we would do.
0: Yeah but you come on you you, 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 you accept presumably that there is an, an okay it's notional, but there is a deficit in the in the, the Scottish calculations. It's in the annual report it was in the the, the SNP's uh, own report commissioned from the Andrew Wilson uh, group which, which said that, that, that Scotland would start with, with a relatively higher deficit than for the UK as a whole
1: well since that time the UK deficit has grown to 17 percent of GDP. Countries across the world have experienced, of course they have, an increase in their deficits trying to cope with the pandemic. Uh, And Scotland, of course, would have a deficit like other countries if we had that expenditure as well. And, of course, we have to deal with that.
0: It will be a higher deficit than other countries, higher than elsewhere, higher than the UK as a whole.
1: It depends on what you want to spend your money on. So if the UK spends, for example, £32 billion on a useless test and trace system Scotland wouldn't do that you don't want to spend 200 billion pounds on nuclear weapons in that circumstance so uh, no I don't think it's possible to make that straightforward correlation but of course many of these charges are made at a time by the UK government crying about a smaller deficit there they now have 17 percent and rising now when Scotland's notional deficit was described at say it was completely unsustainable they can't both be true it's either something that you have to manage over time as happened after the second world war uh, or it's something that's extraordinary. can't be borne by any individual country. It can't be borne by...
0: I, I remind you that while you're quoting a figure of 17% for the UK as a whole, the IFS report was saying but
1: for Scotland... It was between 22 and 25% considerably higher. But the IFS and all commentators say that it's not possible to, um, if you like, extrapolate forward to an independent Scotland from the figures that we have just now. They don't tell us a great deal about an independent Scotland. And we do think it's very important for this recovery that we have those powers of an independent country. Why have Ireland and Denmark fared so much better uh, through this pandemic than the UK has so it's also true to say Scotland currently has a lower unemployment level than the UK. Our GDP growth, although false just now, I accept that because we don't see the full impact of the pandemic, has been more sustainable than the UK. Of course, Scotland would have its challenges, but it's important that in that circumstance you invest in people, you invest in infrastructure, and you. One thing you don't do is erect twenty-seven borders to limit the foreign trade that you can do as well, and that's something else that would change with independence.
0: Well, we'll come to that in a, in a moment, but let's talk about some policies that are very much devolved to the Scottish Parliament tax rates and bans, income tax rates and bans are devolved to the Scottish Parliament. You're proposing to freeze rates, income tax rates, as I understand it, for the next Parliament. Explain why that uh, that should be...
1: Well, you could do one of two things, or three things. One is to do what we're doing, which is to freeze them. You could increase them, and we think that's exactly the wrong thing to do during the course of uh, uh, the economic challenges that we have. And also because of the plans that we have to invest in our public services and infrastructure, we don't want to lower them. We need to have those resources to do that. So we think the sensible thing to do it's not what the Tories are doing, talking about tax cuts in the middle of this economic challenge. We think it's important that we have the tax base that's there just now. It's already more progressive than the rest of the UK, and we think that's the right way to go. But if you also freeze the bands, that's the you know, the point at which people move up the... The
0: scale into, into higher rates of tax. If you also freeze the bans, then over time, with inflation, people won't find actually their income tax bills will rise. It's a, it's, a, it's a stealth
1: tax. Well, I don't think it is. I think most people accept the fact that we are freezing the tax rates that we currently have. is a sensible thing to do. And it's also got to be taken against the backdrop of council tax in Scotland being between four and £500 less than it is in England. So We have a fair, a progressive tax regime. And it's worth bearing in mind that the average in Scotland is lower in terms of tax than it is for the rest of the UK. We pay less tax on average than the rest of the UK does. But it's a more progressive tax system. That seems to me to be a good basis on which to go forward. But how is it feasible to afford that freezing of tax rates when uh, we've just been discussing
0: the, the the extent of the of the deficit? You just turn a blind eye to that and say, well, we carry on with the
1: tax plans as is. Well, the tax plans that we have are for they're obviously um, projected forward on the basis of the devolved uh, parliament that we currently have, uh, and what we've done is it's not plucked figures out the air. We have worked on this. This is a medium uh, of the three potential outcomes in terms of the budget. So it's all costed. It's based on what we currently receive in in, in terms of the Barnett consequentials, based on the block grant, based on the tax take that we currently have. It's worked out. It's there. The money is there to do what we intend to do. Of course, it's a different set of propositions if we have the benefits of independence. Then different options open up for you.
0: You're proposing a, a range of spending plans. Let me go through a couple of them. Education, you're planning a further £1 billion You say that's to close the school attainment gap, but you wanted to close the school attainment gap in the previous five year parliament. Audit Scotland in March this year said progress had been limited and and it said the poverty related attainment gap remains wide and existing inequalities, they said, have been exacerbated by COVID-19 pandemic but it remains wide it hasn't been narrowed to the extent that you promised why should we believe that the the new one billion is going to make any difference
1: well we had made substantial progress using i think a 750 million pounds to do that so i think we've reduced that national five level by about a third and at national six level by about a fifth, which is not enough, but it is progress. And then of course the pandemic hit which has affected everybody in this circumstance. But one point I would make, which I think is often missed in this discussion, Brian, is the fact that attainment is very important. But in the area that I represent in Clubmanishire, which was bottom of the league in terms of positive destinations for young people, we have now gone to third in the league of local authorities. And what it means is some people will go on to college or university, some people will go straight into training and some people go into employment and club manager has been transformed over previous years in terms of its achievement and there are huge amounts of success for our education system which are not necessarily captured in the attainment figures important though they are and we do realize we've got more what to do which is the one reason why we put even more money into this coming parliament than we put into the last parliament by a factor of 250 million pounds additional monies.
0: Except of course that the pandemic has been a seismic shock to education as it has been anything else people are interested in how we recover from that but they're also interested in future planning you know how we how we move on beyond post-pandemic if we can envisage such a thing we've had to suspend the the um the external exams the sqa exams Would you see that those would return? Will the hires return? Will the the other forms of externally moderated exams return in full?
1: I think people want to see, I know there's a contrary point of view, I think people want to see those exams return, but they'd have to return in the right circumstances and at the right time. And that's a discussion which the new government will have with the teaching unions, with the teaching profession, and, of course, with young people's representatives. They do give an objective basis for where people have reached in the learning process, and they give... Obviously, assurance to employers and others about the level of education that's been achieved—at least attainment—they are not the whole story, as I've just tried to point out. but They are important, and I think it's yeah. important when it's possible to to get back to that exam diet.
0: Because, of course, you know, universities, as you say, require them. Employers require to see some actual evidence uh, beyond just a, a verdict given by the teacher or by internal assessment. They like to see that external assessment
1: as well. Well, they do, but of course, in the pandemic, they've accepted the fact that's not possible, whether that's it's Scotland possible. or the rest of the UK.
0: Let me turn you to health. Spending, you're talking about 2.5 billion additional for health. Again, that could be said. It's just plugging gaps caused by failure in
1: the the past five years. Absolutely not. And I I really have to say that compared, and you know, people have said it's not. Enough just to compare yourself with England or the rest of the UK and I accept that. There should be international comparisons for this, but those are the most direct comparisons that we make. And in terms of A&E figures and many other respects, patient satisfaction, the health service is doing exceptionally well in Scotland. And I think our commitment to it is underpinned by, as I've mentioned already, a 4% increase for nurses compared to 1%, which is actually a cut a real terms cut in England. So I think we have committed to real expenditure in the NHS. The £500 payment to NHS staff is a way of saying thank you for all the efforts that we've made. I've had direct experience of the NHS over the course of the last year with myself and others. And it's been an absolutely fantastic service in very difficult circumstances. I don't doubt there are real challenges uh, which are there because of the pandemic in terms of uh, delayed operations and other things in terms of preventative medicine as well. But I'm very confident with the people that we have there and the resources that we intend to put in. You mentioned £2.5 billion. A situation where, for example, a nurse will end up around roundabout on average about £1,200 better off than her or his counterpart in England, which I think is a, a real sign of her investment in the health service.
0: But your critics say that you've, you've underperformed in, in health, particularly with regard to spending. The IFS report said that NHS spending has been, and I quote, prioritised to a lesser extent than in England. There was an advantage in spending terms per head ahead of England. But it's, they say it's almost been wiped out since devolution because money has gone
1: elsewhere under your your choices. Well, our opponents will always say this. First of all, they criticised us a number of years ago for spending far more on health um, than they do elsewhere in the UK If we are spending roughly the same, and I'm not sure those figures are exactly correct, I think they say there's still more money spent per head in Scotland on health than other parts of the UK, but we are receiving or achieving substantially better results as per patient satisfactions I've mentioned already, and some of the preventative um, things which we've introduced, which have then been copied elsewhere in the UK. If we're achieving all that on the same or roughly the same level of expenditure, then that's a good outcome from the NHS. But I've mentioned already the extent to which we want to put more money, not just into the NHS itself, but into the individuals that have been providing that service during this extremely difficult last year, and will do so into the future.
0: But I don't think patients waiting for cancer diagnosis, patients waiting for cancer tests, would describe the the health service in Scotland as as being worthwhile. Cancer Research UK say at the end of the last year, 101,000 patients we're waiting for a key test and, and you, you know, you're promising new fast-track diagnostic centres, but they should have been up and running by now. They should have been in, in place already.
1: Yeah, and there's been a pandemic and every country that you can point to, developed country in the world that's got a health service will have suffered a major setback because of this pandemic because the priority obviously was dealing with uh, COVID. But I do think... Uh, Those services have continued, perhaps not at the level we'd normally expect, but they have, I know myself, they have continued right through the pandemic and the quality and dedication of the service is still there. I do hope, incidentally, that we are able to, and I'm um, reassured in this from the words of Gene Freeman, that we will learn the lessons of the pandemic in terms of being able to do far more remotely or virtually than we have done previously. That will happen of necessity as just now and it will do for some time to come. But I hope we can learn the lessons of that, which of course may help drive down both costs, both to individuals, to the health service and to the wider economy if you can do that. So let's learn the lessons from this pandemic in order to help us catch up with where we should be.
0: Okay, let's stick with health. You mentioned Gene Freeman, the health secretary in the last Government, She said releasing uh, elderly people too early from hospital to care homes before robust testing was in place was a mistake. Um, the First Minister has, has said that as well. Uh, I mean, that must be a, 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 a real anchor. Uh, hanging upon your government and hanging upon the ministers that that had to take those decisions?
1: Well, of course, I have to say, first off, I'm not in government. I've not been directly involved in those decisions. But I have looked at the two reports which have now been produced, I think, by Public Health Scotland, which say the biggest determining factor in the uh, incidence of COVID within care homes has been because, first of all, the type or the size of the care home in the first place and larger care homes more likely to have a greater incidence beyond their size and also in terms of whether they have nursing or not as well. Much more important than any transmission there was from people coming out of hospitals into care homes. But of course, those that are responsible with these huge decisions at the start of the pandemic, I would not like to have been in that position. They had to take those decisions at those times in the best interest and of course they were trying to protect other patients as well. But let's learn from this and let's learn from it and let's not pretend it only happened in Scotland. So why not have a four nation inquiry? Inquiry, a proper, full-blooded inquiry to get to the bottom of it all. You want a
0: four-nation inquiry rather than one targeted on the circumstances in Scotland. That seems almost contrary to your your position as a, as a, a national party.
1: Well, the thing is, there are so many commonalities between uh, what happened in different countries with uh, COVID. Then it makes sense to do that, and also it allows you to compare and contrast. Was this decision right in this country? Was a more cautious approach in Scotland the right one to take? I think the first minister has said she would like to have and has asked for a four-nation inquiry. Of course, it would also be something that would perhaps reduce some of the costs, which will be very substantial for this inquiry. But it'll also increase its impact, because it has that breadth of experience incorporated into it. If they don't do that, if they refuse to have the inquiry, then Scotland will go itself, and we will have that full inquiry before the end of this year, starting as I understand it.
0: But it could also be said that ministers in Scotland, the government in Scotland, officials in Scotland, might escape closer scrutiny if it is on a, on a, on a four-nation basis, if it's UK Wide, if it's broader, then perhaps you know. Frankly, you, you, the 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 worries and the, the problems in Scotland will slip under the
1: radar of it. I have every confidence in. Well, I was going to say the opposition parties, but certainly in the media to make sure the Scottish government's put under sufficient scrutiny. And if the inquiry is constructed in the right way with the right people, then there should be no hiding place. There should be a full inquiry into every aspect of it. And I I have no doubt that the adequate scrutiny will be placed on Scottish ministers, whatever the nature of the inquiry is that takes place. And it's not a way of skipping, dodging. Absolutely not. How would it be possible to do that? If somebody can point out to me that we're willing to be involved in an inquiry across the four nations of the UK that's going to allow you to hide away, I just don't see that at all. But if they don't do that, and if it was the intention to try and hide from something, why would we commit to having our own inquiry in the absence of that four-nation inquiry?
0: Let me turn you to another, another topic, a huge topic for Scotland, a huge topic for the planet, the environment, but particularly in Scotland. Isn't there a tension between your desire as, as, as an SNP, your desire as a Scottish government, to cut carbon emissions you've set, you, you, you're never done talking about the bold targets, but isn't there a tension between that
1: desire and your wish to protect jobs in the North Sea oil and gas industry? Yes, there is a tension. There is no doubt about that. And the way that we try to address that tension is to look for what's called a just transition, so that those that are at the cutting edge of that, those whose jobs uh, are involved in the North Sea It will have the chance to have a just transition, to move forward to other jobs. Now, we've already done something like this back in 2013, around then, when the oil price collapsed. We, in fact, I was involved in it myself, instituted a number of programmes which allowed people in that industry to move into other industries. And I think we have to do that on a much bigger scale. And the other point I would make is... It's not just taking in isolation. So if you're taking forward other measures, as we are in decarbonising transport, including the uh, hopefully newly nationalised railway, you start to reduce the demand for that, those carbon fuels in the first place. And if the other targets that we've set for um, eliminating diesel and petrol cars that starts to reduce the demand. So you really have to try and work down the demand for those hydrocarbons in the first place, but at the same time, moving people into new jobs and new industries.
0: But you may have to face down the Greens in that. You worked with the Greens, it wasn't a coalition, but you worked with them on budget. Um, plans. In the last parliament you, you relied upon their support to get the budget through. They're now saying they're going to want a, a, a budget, budget proposals generally that, that are about leaving the oil and the gas in the ground. That's the phrase that Patrick Harvey and the others use and yet right now there's proposals to, to bring bring back to life the Bentley oil field 90 miles east of Shetland. There's still talk about you know, west, west of Shetland development. There's talk about other uh, undeveloped areas but particularly Bentley is, is, is a big one that's currently being talked about. Are you going to have to face down the greens and say look you cannot just leave it in the ground there has to be as you describe it a just transition you're gonna to have to tell that tell the greens just to back off
1: uh, we're very firm on the need for a just transition not just in North uh, Sea oil and gas but in other sectors as well and the point about the greens is who knows what the outcome the composition of the new parliament is going to be we have been able to work with the greens in the past i'm sure we would be able to in future and these things tend to be on the basis of compromising working things through and i'm sure if that's what the composition of the Parliament leaves us with, I'm sure we'll be able to get some joint working done on those issues as well. The Greens have been actually very constructive allies in much that we've done in terms of climate change targets. But you would want a longer life span for the North Sea rather than just leaving it in the ground? What we want to do is the span that that allows us to have that just transition. If we can get people, and and to be honest, Brian, you'll know as well as me, that these are real people with real families dependent on these jobs for which they've trained, for which they have massive experience. We do not intend to throw them on the scrap peep. As aside from that, we have this existential threat of climate change. It's trying to make sure the two things are managed. People get that chance to transition justly safeguarding their families and their livelihoods into new industries
0: let me turn you to the topic of independence the the, the 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 defining
1: characteristic
0: of the snp is to support independence for scotland talk of an independence referendum when do you think that might be when do you envisage that happening
1: i think you know it's been very nice uh, for politicians to give a straight answer it's going to be in this day that would be ideal for be me a first yeah <laughs> We do know it's dependent on something that we don't control, though, and that's why the answer has to be when it's safe to do so. When the COVID pandemic allows it to be conducted in a safe environment, that's the right and responsible thing to do. So it also means that the government, if the SNP are re-elected to government, will be focused on making sure that Scotland has that uh, COVID-safe environment. That's very important. And also there's a selfish reason as well, because... My party and the movement for independence is by far the biggest in terms of activity, in terms of campaigning that there is in Scotland. And we want to be able to do that. So safety first. The Covid environment determines when that can be safely held.
0: But the First Minister has made clear that she wants a, a, a statutory referendum because the you know the part of, over the Constitution resides with... Westminster under the Scotland Act 1998 she wants a statutory referendum not an unofficial plebiscite she wants the 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 real thing what if Boris Johnson what if the Prime Minister says just no you're not getting the power to hold that referendum I'm not asking what you will do because I appreciate you can't say that I'm asking what you can do what
1: are the options in the event that that he as he currently promises says no well first there's two or three things to say that first of all I don't believe Boris Johnson. I've said that consistently in every interview I've done for the last three years. I think after the election it's a different scenario. We'll see what he says then but I've never believed that he is someone who doesn't U-turn. I don't know who still believes that. Um, So I think that will be and and many people that you talk to in the Conservative Party say the same thing as well. So I don't believe that's the case. And also I think it's true that the Tory party in Scotland doesn't believe that. Otherwise they wouldn't be saying in this election you must vote for us to stop an independence referendum. Why is that the case if they're confident Boris is going to say no in any of But the crucial point in all this is that the authority comes not from Boris Johnson and not from a Section 30, it comes from the people of Scotland. And if they decide at this election that they want to have the opportunities of uh, voting in an independence referendum and the opportunities of independence. Yes, the,
0: the moral and democratic authority the moral and democratic authority may come from the people of, of Scotland, but the legal and statutory authority resides
1: with a, a Westminster Act of Parliament. Well, if it's the case that they want to use legal authority to challenge that moral and democratic authority, they're going to end up in a situation of Donald Trump trying to use the law to overturn the democracy of a country. And I don't think they want to be in that position. The international community would look very badly on and that kind of contact by the UK government. It's already uh, painted itself as something of a renegade state by agreeing international treaties, which it immediately then renounces and says it's going to break, by proroguing Parliament, by any number of other things. So I think this would be a step too far, even for this Tory government, to try and use the law to overturn democracy.
0: Do you think, do you think that Boris Johnson might be tempted to call an earlier referendum
1: to, as he might put it, call your bluff? I've seen discussion of that, uh, Brian. I, I think it's... it's Difficult to see how we could do that because the referendum, whenever it comes, has to be made in Scotland and we have the ability to say what the franchise, the timing, the wording and so on should be. And the idea they would try and force that, um, I think, is nonsense. And also it would make a mockery of their commitment to say you can't hold this referendum during the pandemic. We can have the hardest of Brexits in the teeth of a pandemic, but you can't hold a referendum. If If that's their view, how could they then say, no, hurry up and have it just now before it's safe?
0: Let's talk about some of the issues that might arise from independence. Would there be a? You know, the UK is currently not in the European Union. The European Parliament has just voted for the, 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 the trade deal, etc. There's a consequence of that. We're out of the EU uh, for the UK as a whole. If Scotland were to rejoin the EU, there'd be a border, uh, wouldn't there? A border with England, a border with a non-EU
1: country. There'd have to be customs checks on goods. Hey, I don't know if that implies that there's not currently a border there, but there is. The last time I was up and down at the country, there's always been a border there, um, even though... Yeah, but you don't get
0: you don't get stopped and ask
1: what's in your lorry. Even though Boris Johnson said that there wasn't. Well, of course, uh, our intentions we don't want to erect the border, but we've seen 27 borders erected against our expressed democratic wishes in Scotland. So we want to eliminate those 27 borders. If the rest of the UK, whether in a fit of petulance or whatever, decided to erect a more stringent border between England and Scotland, that would be bizarre and against their own interests, and it would not apply unless they want to change that to the common travel area. People would be able to travel freely up and down the whole of the UK.
0: I'm, I'm not asking about the common travel area. I'm talking about. I'm asking about goods. I'm asking about goods. Goods would have to be to. would be, be they'd be leaving the EU and entering a non-EU area, and they'd have to be
1: customs checks. Well, these things would be subject to negotiation, and like me, I'm sure you can remember, Brian, all the assurances that we got from Brexit-loving Conservatives who said there was a perfectly possible virtual solution to this in Ireland. We could sort this out very easily and this is not a real issue if that if they believe that's true then why would they immediately jump to trying to erect a hard border in terms of goods Nicholas sturgeon has
0: said in an irish times interview when you mentioned ireland nicolas sturgeon said that the northern ireland protocol could be a template for scotland the northern ireland protocol i would remind you has led to riots in the streets and the resignation of the northern ireland first minister
1: well, I think I hesitate to comment on the internal politics of Northern Ireland, but I do think from an external point of view, if you're um, a territory which has voted to stay in the EU and then you have a government which is determined to support another government which is determined to take you out of that, gives you all kinds of assurances before that actually happens and then reneges on them. Remember Boris Johnson, if anybody asks you for a form or for permission to move something to the border, come and tell me and I'll tell them you shouldn't have to do that. Well, that's just gone by the board. So I think a lot of the anger in Northern Ireland is over betrayals of what the people actually voted for. Another reason why the Tories should not ignore democracy in Scotland. But you accept there could be problems with
0: cross-border transfers if, as you put it, the, the UK government decides, the, 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 our UK, the rest of the UK government, decides to, to play, play tough as again.
1: I just would not understand why a country would want to indulge in that kind of self-harm. But if they do that, there has to be a negotiation... And, a discussion. and of course, it is the case that we currently export more of our uh, uh, goods to the rest of the EU than we do to the UK. And if you look at the history of Ireland, since we're talking about Ireland, uh, when they, before they joined the EU, massively disproportionate in terms of the uh, goods and services they're with the rest of the UK compared to the EU. And that's now changed. But incidentally, they've grown both, the trade they do with the UK and massively the trade they do with the EU. So those 27 borders coming down represent a huge opportunity for Scotland.
0: What about the economy under independence? We talked earlier about the the, the deficit that there is under devolution, putatively under independence. The the RBS group, the group now known as as NatWest overall, say they had moved their headquarters from Edinburgh to London in the event of independence.
1: Well, they said um, this uh, last time as well, and those decisions are for those companies. I would say that if you look at what's happened since... Brexit, with the financial institutions leaving the City of London to go to Frankfurt or Paris, and sometimes to go to Dublin. Uh, The the real attractions of an English speaking country uh, for financial institutions within the EU is huge. Uh, Edinburgh and the rest of Scotland could have had that huge benefit had we been independent, but we haven't had that. I still believe it's possible for us to be an extremely attractive place to grow upon the already uh, very substantial position we have as a financial centre in Europe if we are independent uh, and in the
0: EU. But again, the Institute for Government report 28th April says the distribution of public money across the UK would not be sustainable if any of these nations at Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland were to choose to leave the union.
1: Well, the sustainability of the finances in the rest of the UK would be a matter for the rest of the UK. What we would be interested in is the sustainability of finances for independent Scotland. And there is nothing. If people stand back from some of the very involved discussions we get involved uh, about this, stand back and say is there something unique about Scotland as compared to much uh, many other countries of a similar size that don't have the natural resources, don't have five universities in the top 200 in the world, don't have the natural, mineral and other resources that we have. Something unique about Scotland, that it could not make a good fist of its own future, I don't believe that's the case.
0: Can I ask you finally, Mr Brown, about the the idea of campaigning for independence, the idea about collective effort to bring about a referendum, the, the idea of other parties that might contribute to that, particularly Alipa, uh, led by your former leader, Alex Salmon. Could you work, could you as a party, not you personally, but you as a party, you
1: as a government work with Alex Salmond in order to bring about a referendum and to bring about independence? Well, I'm the deputy leader of the SNP, so that's as far as my remit and authority go. I have worked, incidentally, with other parts of the independence movement, so uh, Scottish Independence Convention, the Scottish Independence Foundation, National Yes Registry and others. Um, it's up to other parties um, if they want to work towards independence. Of course it is. But the SNP has been the standard bearer for independence. I've been a member of it for 37 years. Um, and, and when I first joined uh, way back in Dundee, uh, Brian, way back in 1984, first by-election in Brodie Ferry in the, in the throes of winter, um, we were at 10, 11% in the opinion polls. And it's the SNP's leadership that has taken us right up to the position that we're in just now. So I'm happy to work with others um, in the independence movement that want to work towards independence. That's up to them. But for me, the SNP is the standard it and I will concentrate on what the SNP does. I accept you're the
0: standard bearer, the P SNP are the standard bearer, but you, you seem to be suggesting you could work with Mr Salmon. He could bring something to the table and the, the Alapa Party could bring something to the
1: table. Well, the SNP has never said to anybody else, don't campaign for independence if that's what they want to do. But there are fundamental differences. Um, let's face it, I, for example, the idea of a supermajority I just think is bizarre. Uh, the idea you would try to imply that Scotland's got to reach a higher threshold before any other country in the world before it gets its right to exercise self-determination. So I don't agree with that. I don't agree with the Alapa party on saying they want to have uh, immediately move to independence post the election, whether it's a referendum or whatever it is they propose. I don't agree with that. I think we have to wait until we have a safe environment. So they, of course, can put forward their arguments. Uh, I'm happy to put forward the arguments for the SNP and we'll see what the electorate decide. You
0: don't rule out working with Alapa or... Alex Salmond, if they have a place in Parliament and they are arguing for, for independence?
1: Well, I've mentioned, uh, first of all, the fundamental differences that we have. I don't know more about their... I generally do not know more about their other policies, but on the issue of the supermajority, which you've talked about, I fundamentally disagree with it. And the idea of going for an early referendum or whatever their latest proposal is, I don't agree with that. I don't see the basis for uh, joint working in those terms. But we'll wait and see what the electorates say. And as things stand, the electorate say it's unlikely we'll see Alba uh, MSPs in the Scottish Parliament.
0: What do you think of Alex Salmon now?
1: I've not talked to Alex Salmon for a, a number of years, and I am not going to get involved in his personality politics. I don't think it serves anybody's interest. So I've not said anything about that. I'm not going to be attacking uh, anybody. Even those, some former colleagues have joined the ALPA Party. I've not uh, attacked anybody in that sense. Let me f- close with a, a question
0: Do you think Scotland will be independent within the lifetime of the next? parliament within 10 years, within 20? Can you give me some sort of timescale of your ambitions as to what, you want it tomorrow, but, but your, your, your serious ambitions as to when you think it might happen?
1: Well, the first thing I'd say certainly to have the referendum during the next uh, Parliament, and it will depend on the proposition that we put forward, how long that delay is between the referendum and the first independent elections, uh, whether that comes within the next term, but I, I don't see any reason why we could not achieve that within a five-year timescale. Achieve independence within a five-year time but it depends. It depends on what the offer is, and that will have to be, we have got still to work out, first of all, that we get the mandate from the Scottish people at this election once we've done that if we achieve that next week they will then put a proposition before the people of scotland and that will include things like timetables but yes certainly within the next 10 years i think it's perfectly possible for scotland to become independent keith rowan thank you very much indeed for joining me and thanks for joining this herald podcast thank you this podcast was brought to you by the herald We're giving you the chance to get exclusive access to even more insight, analysis and opinion with a Herald subscription. Take 20% off an annual
0: rate with the code HERALDNEW2021. This offers for new subscribers only and is only available with the promotional code. Subscriptions will renew at the standard rate unless cancelled. And sign up to our free evening politics newsletter, Unspun, to get snap analysis from some of our top contributors every day. Head to heraldscotland.com for the details. (laughs) Thank you.